Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. We have a member of our community on today sharing her story. I'm so grateful for those of you who come and share your story. If you're interested in sharing, please contact my assistant, Kari, K-A-R-I, at btr.org. Let her know like a synopsis of your situation and that you want to come on the podcast. We'll use a pseudonym for you so that it's safe and We really appreciate those of you who have the courage to share. Many of you listeners are members of Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, which is a daily online support group that has multiple sessions a day in your time zone. If you have been listening to this for a while and you haven't talked with a professional coach or a group, or you've been to maybe a codependent-based group where there's some victim blaming happening and it's not taken from a trauma perspective, try it out. You get over 90 sessions a month for the same price as one therapy session. It is inexpensive. We did it like that on purpose. We also did it online on purpose so that you don't have to find childcare. You don't have to get transportation. You can do it in your closet. You can do it in your car. As long as you have internet, it's really safe. So check out the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group. Go to btr.org. We'd love to see you in a session today. Now for today's interview. Marnie Bound is joining us today. She is a public speaker sharing what she has learned through her own personal journey of surviving betrayal, trauma, addiction, divorce, the negative effects and consequences of pornography, and navigating a new life as a single mother. She is an advocate for helping others find resources, including therapy, as they move forward with hope and faith in their healing. You can find her on Instagram at Marnie Bown, and you spell Bown B-O-W-N. So it's M-A-R-N-I-B-O-W-N. Welcome, Marnie. Thanks for having me. So let's start with your story. Since all of the women who listen to Betrayal Trauma Recovery have been through this, everyone's interested in story. So tell us your story. Did you recognize your husband's abusive behaviors at first? I did not. I actually did not recognize or was even made aware until after I was in therapy that was specific to betrayal trauma. Before that, I just thought our marriage was normal, happy, healthy, that he really was just such a great guy and one of the most selfless people I had ever met. And that was pretty difficult when I started to understand the truth of what my marriage really was. And your therapist helped you discover that you were a victim of abuse? Yes. We had discussed some situations, even I would say maybe while I was still married, he had texted that he wanted a divorce. And part of the result of that was that I got my own therapist and not knowing the magnitude of his betrayal and all those choices that he was making just kind of the stonewalling, the communication dysfunction. She even had pointed out the possibility of emotional abuse, but in my mind that was not even possible. And because of the type of abuse, it was the withdraw, not communicate in controlling that way versus the yelling or controlling physical demeaning. It was never like that ever. So it was really hard to see until I really actually had the truth of the whole story to see, oh, now I can tell where the manipulation and the blame shifting and all that was taking place. Did your therapist ever, um, or are you familiar with the book, The Verbally Abusive Relationship by Patricia Evans? No, I have not read that book. Okay. 
I would highly recommend it. My guess is that when you read it, you will be like, whoa, all the examples like hit the nail on the head. And this type of abuse that's not overt, that's not like screaming and yelling in your face is so insidious and people really don't have the education to see it. And many therapists don't. So I'm really happy that you had a good therapist that helped you through this. You're in this relationship and you don't really know what's going on, but you know something's wrong. So during that time, what types of things did you do to try to establish safety and peace in your home before you found out about the porn use and the infidelity? Again, we had what I thought was a healthy, happy marriage. I feel like a lot of it was a lot of communication with the children. We both were on the same page about talking to them about pornography. We agreed we wanted to talk to them about it just like we did drugs or alcohol or anything else. We both come from families where we're predispositioned for addiction. And so we would explain to them, it didn't matter what, it could be something. We don't know what it is. And so we need to abstain from a lot of things because of that, including pornography. And even as recent as you know, with Colin Karchner and his talks about the dopamine and kind of the effects of pornography and video games. So I feel like we would check in as a family a lot. We had a really open communication about sex, about social media. We had our kids sign contracts. Phones were away. At certain ages, social media was put on, say, even my cell phone. And I feel like there was a lot of communication within the home surrounding specifically to pornography which I feel like is ironic, especially having now knowing the truth of what he was involved in. I do feel like that even on a spiritual level, we pray as a family, going to church, implementing that aspect too of having the spirit with you and evening out to keep those things out so that we can feel the spirit. So those were some of the things that I feel like we were doing and I believed was also going on, which is hard now understanding that that was even going on with him, my ex, in the home, that pornography was being viewed in my home by him is kind of violating in a really weird way. Mm -hmm. You're setting these boundaries. You're talking about porn. You're discussing healthy sexuality, thinking that he is on the same page with you. And really, it was all just a facade. Now, did you have any sense then at all, like deep down that something was wrong or did it just everything seem fine to you? No, I feel like a year into our marriage and granted, we got married in the 90s when internet was really early. So I found pornography and at that point, I did feel super hurt and betrayed and cheated on. But I feel like I never then saw or was aware of any pornography use from him until the actual discovery of his work phone. But I would have kind of this underlying insecurity because I feel like there was a lot of lying going on and I never could really pinpoint the purpose. And that was where I learned part of the abuse was that I would be blamed for him lying to me because my reaction would be so much that I would maybe get too angry. So he was justified in lying to me. And it just really didn't make sense, some of the things that he would lie to me about. And I do feel like there was a lot of lack of the empathy and emotional disconnect, especially in our communication. I now see that in our relationship, there was a lot of withdrawing in communication and it kind of took the withdraw, the withdraw, and then I'd finally kind of corner him to communicate, even if it was just my feelings of feeling overwhelmed or stressed or that I needed extra help. And it ended up an explosion. And then that's where it really led towards the end to the stonewalling. And that's where my therapist said, this is not healthy. I had to literally text him in the home 
to say, hey, can you meet with me so that we can talk? And I didn't want to overwhelm him with a conversation that was too long. So all those things are going off as that is extremely unhealthy. There was also situations with money that didn't really make sense, but he was in charge of the finances. And when I would try to get involved, he didn't really want me to, but then it was a problem that I wasn't involved. So it was, again, I see that control that he had over that money that he was able to do a lot of the things he did because I was not aware yet. I was blamed for not knowing what was going on and several gaps in time. Like he traveled a lot and there was a lot of missed flights or he would get bumped. And again, it was him saying, Hey, I'm getting bumped so we can have a flight that we can use later for us. But really that he was using it for other purposes and like this disregard for me. I did not feel like a priority and I had an experience with an injury. And I think that was the first time I really realized how unempathetic he was to me that he just looked at me like I'm leaving town and I had a broken ankle and he's like, I'm out of here for the week and good luck. And I just cried thinking, how can this be possible? I have these busy children and what is going on? I felt like he had changed, but I could never pinpoint it. And I feel like if I tried to ask questions, it was always, I'm this simple person. It's you. And so I just knew I had to work hard on me all the time to fix because everything was falling apart because of me. He was simple and he didn't require a lot and he wasn't mean and angry at me. He just laid low and kind of kept the peace to the point he wanted me to just tell him what to do because then he couldn't mess up and I wouldn't get upset. And I did not like that dynamic in our marriage either. Felt like this dominant person being like, I want to be a team though. I want to work together. But again, with the withdrawal and the communication, when I would try to muster up the courage to talk to him, it would end with me feeling like I don't value him and how hard he works and all the things that he does around the house. And I just need to be content with how things are and I now see how sad that I really was not even allowed or feel like I could even cry in our relationship, like to him, that it was that emotionally disconnected, that really for him, he was coping with his stress, depression, anxiety in unhealthy ways so that he could present himself to me as what he believed was a healthier way to not burden me with his problems, but yet for me, I was giving him all I was, my good, my bad, my stress, my anxiety, wanting to work with him together as a union, then to see not only that, but he was using my strengths against me to be able to do that what he wanted to do. Those are really hard to see when I really understood the truth of the emotional abuse and seeing that that was what he was doing. A lot of people don't understand that stonewalling and not talking about things are forms of controlling the conversation. And people will think, well, he just can't talk about his emotions or he doesn't want to talk about this or now's not a right time or something like that. They don't recognize that those type of abusive behaviors are controlling. They're controlling the conversation. They're controlling the way that you're able to communicate. And that makes it very difficult. You cannot be on the same team when one person's goal is to shut things down and make sure she doesn't find out about things. As you are working on yourself, he's gaslighting you. And so you're thinking, well, the problem is me. So I need to love and serve and forgive more. 
When did you kind of realize that this isn't working? Did you ever get a sense before he filed for divorce or before he told you that you were getting divorced that, man, I am loving, I am serving, I am forgiving, and things just aren't getting that much better? Was there ever a point where that happened? I don't think I really saw that until I actually discovered his work phone and saw the truth for what it was. Because in my mind, you don't give up. Like you fight in a marriage. We're imperfect people. We accept each other for our differences. We work hard. And I was just trying to do that. I, again, would go to him with a pad of paper and have him give me a list of things that I would need to work on. And I was trying to love him more and just value him more at work and never ask questions when he traveled. I do feel like that he use those things again, where I'm going through therapy working on me. And instead it helped him be able to just to do what he wanted to do better. I mean, he was living two lives. So it made it easier to be like, well, okay, now I'm a good husband and a great dad. And so she's happy, which means she's not going to question any of this other behavior. So it wasn't until actual discovery that I saw that and realized that his layer of lies was actually to be able to get what he wanted and instead. And that was really disturbing for me, especially you look at 21 years, you know. So you've got this marriage where something's not quite right. You're working harder. You're trying. Tell me about how you found the work phone. Like talk about that day. Talk about what led up to that. Yeah. So I have always trusted him. I think that was one of the things you talk about, kind of my own little red flags, things going off. I did feel like he was being unfaithful. I did feel like that pornography was involved, but at the same time, I trusted him. He was a spiritual person. So to me, whenever I had those feelings, I thought I must be the worst person for even assuming or thinking any of these thoughts. And as I was working, I believed he also was working on our marriage together because he didn't want to go to couples therapy. We were both individually working on ourselves. And one of the things was to make date night together or spend more time together. But there were still some inconsistencies there. And I felt like I was definitely pulling more of the weight. But I, unfortunately, on Christmas morning at two in the morning, I happened to just roll over and his phone and I was able to see the truth of really a conversation that he was having with a girl that he had been on the phone with through the night. And again, the betrayal of understanding the truth of, I thought Christmas Eve was dedicated to the family and us. And really the truth is he was communicating with this person. He had been with her the week previous. He was planning to be with her after. But then even in addition, it wasn't just her when I went out of that conversation, just to see the magnitude of all that was on his phone was almost unbelievable and overwhelming. I could not even believe that he was capable or that this really was the same person. You say, unfortunately, because it was Christmas, but maybe fortunately, because you finally got to know the truth. Yeah, I think it was unfortunate because Christmas morning, I mean, that's a day you celebrate every year and you have so many memories attached to it. And I had to keep it together. I chose to not say anything. I wanted my children to experience Christmas morning as the best it could be. I was super emotional, which again, as I talked about in our relationship and our marriage, we had to be okay, right? We weren't 
able to. So my kids didn't really see me cry ever. And so when mom's emotional and crying, they're like, what is going on? But Christmas morning happened. We spent time with family and it wasn't till later that I actually um, confronted him and everything kind of exploded from there. My goal was to wait until the next day, but that just didn't really happen. And so it is unfortunate for my children that I feel like a day that we celebrate and you have memories that will never go away. It's like, how was your Christmas? <laughs> because that was the question following the discovery that I would get asked by every person. And it's like, do you want to know the truth about how my Christmas was? How was your Christmas? So it was just that constant trigger. How long ago was that? That was just this last Christmas. Oh, just recently. Okay. It's very traumatic to have them happen on holidays or special days. Cause then after that, it's like, ugh, you're remembering it. It's terrible. Well, hopefully this Christmas will be better and it can be sort of the anniversary of your freedom. Yes. And I've talked with the kids mm -hmm, to how do we embrace. And I do feel like the kids' triggers are different than mine. And just because their life circumstance and memories are different and also what they know. But I do feel like we've talked openly about what can we do. And really, I am happy for them that Christmas Eve and Christmas morning were great. I think for them, the difference changed in Christmas break. And that will be interesting to see how to deal with that. I think because that's where, again, we now saw that mom and dad never fought. And now dad's arguing and he's this new person that we've never seen before with this anger and, you know, that came behind, I think, a lot of the fear of the discovery for him and his truth being told. And so it just was kind of a confusing time for them. And then he moved out. And again, they were confused, like mom and dad don't fight. And now dad's moving out. It just was kind of hard for them to process what was going on. Mm -hmm. And shocking, probably. Shocking, absolutely shocking. Why do you think it took so long and after your divorce and after all you went through and with the help of a therapist to understand that you were being abused? I want to bring this up because you're not stupid right? You're an amazing, smart, capable woman who is able to plan and make things happen, who graduated from college. Like you're no dummy. And same thing with me and same thing with all the women who listen to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. We are capable, amazing, brave, strong women. So that being said, I don't want to be like, what's wrong with you? Why did it take you so long? But let's just talk about it in general, perhaps. Like, why do you think it takes all of us so long to understand the abuse or maybe someone telling us about it or getting educated about it? Can you tell me your thoughts on that now that you know what you went through? Yeah. So I think that's a really great point. And I feel like I actually get asked that a lot. Did you really not ever know? Like you had no idea. And I almost am embarrassed to say I really didn't. And I do believe a lot of that was I trusted so much in him, but I did not allow myself to trust in myself. Like when I had my own doubts, I discounted it so easily because of my trust in him. I also think because of the type of abuse, he's not this loud yelling person. Like I feel like it's hard to wrap your mind around the idea of abuse being the ability to not communicate. Like you were saying that his control was lack of communicating information to me. I didn't ever really know exactly what was going on. Sometimes even for work, I didn't know exactly what he was doing. And I feel like those were 
his lay low, just kind of keep the peace, keep her happy enough that made it really hard for me to say, well, no, I was not in an abusive situation. He never came at me. He was supportive to me. He would even encourage me to do things. He never said a mean thing to me ever. Yet, how am I in an abusive situation? And I think that's when it really goes back to the lies. I just see the there were so many lies and over time. And even when he would lie to me and I would forgive him, then it would happen again. And I felt like it was this compound of lies that I was just trying to process. Like, why are you lying to me about this? If you're lying to me about this, what else is there? But it was never anything there. I think it's super interesting that you're saying he never said a mean thing to me because he did. He told you it was your fault. He told you that something was wrong with you. That, in essence, is cruel. But it doesn't feel mean because you think it's your fault. So a lot of women say that, oh, he was really nice and yada, yada. And I'm thinking that is like the meanest thing you could do to someone is tell them that they've got a problem when it's your problem. I have told him that in all that he did financially, physically, spiritually, emotionally, like all the betrayal choices that he made that put our family in harm that the one that is the most hurtful are the times that he saw me depressed. He saw me feel inadequate. He saw me crying. And I had come to him asking what it is and what's wrong and what's going on. And he knew what he was doing, but allowed me to believe that it was me. And that is so hurtful. And I think that that's when my therapist had pointed that out. It was just like a dagger to the heart to say, wow. And then to take again, my strengths of like, I'm a hard worker. I want to do hard things and fix things. And I would help try to problem solve with him. He was so tired. So it'd be like, what's going on? Well, now I know it's because he was out all night long. He would travel. He was never sleeping, but I'm thinking, what's going on? How can we problem solve? And he would just allow me to try to come in and try to help fix things. And I was just running on this treadmill that was just spinning so fast. And I even think, you know, you kind of went to that question about the love and all that stuff. I see where had we gone to a couple's therapy, I would have sat there and been like, you're right, I'm doing all these things wrong and I need to work harder. It would not have been healthy to be in a situation. And I don't know if you're familiar with Darvo. Really quick with Darvo, we have a really great infographic that circulates around our social media that's on Facebook and Instagram. And so if you're not following us there, I encourage all of our listeners to do that because those infographics are really good. Okay. Yes. Keep going. So I feel like that is for me when I look at the abuse cycle and understanding that I don't feel like I fall into that. I do, but it's different where I feel like the Darvo makes more sense to me because I would approach him with something that didn't make sense. And then he would like attack me almost as if like I couldn't believe that I would believe that or he would defend himself and no, no, no. And then I'd start to feel guilty that I was accusing him or curious or insecure about something. And then it would turn around to where then it was he became the victim. And all of a sudden I was the bad person because I had come to him to communicate. And I felt like that was kind of our psyche. It was the communication started with me and ended with me being like the bad person. I'd walk away being like, how is this that I just went to him to see how I need help, that I am struggling, yet I come away feeling like I'm an ungrateful wife. I don't value 
him and recognize all the things that he's doing. And so it would just come back to me and then I'd say, okay, so what can I do to make it so that he knows that I value and respect all these things yet I didn't feel safe. I didn't trust him. I didn't feel like I was a priority and all these other things was not validated. Instead it was put, well, that's your fault. That's your fault that you feel that way. I'm a, I'm a simple person. Like literally he would say to me so often, I am a simple person and I do not require a lot where you da, 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 da. You're like, no, you actually require like seven women and to be texting all this stuff all the time. So no, you are very, very complex. Yes. I do not know how he was able to organize all that, honestly. Yeah. So, so for you and now knowing sort of processing this, cause this has actually been really soon for you. We are recording this before Christmas. So at the time that we are having this conversation, you have not quite had a year go by. So what is one of the most difficult aspects of now looking back on your marriage now that you know the truth about the abuse? I think for me, again, it's just knowing that he knew the truth of what he was doing and allowed me to believe. I got to a point where I was so down and depressed that I actually had to go into a surgery. And in my mind, I had made a deal with God that I just needed to be taken, that my life to be done, because that was, to me, the easiest way to remove myself from a hard situation of my kids having to deal with divorce and that I was this problem, that if I could just remove myself, then everybody would be so much better off. And I left letters for my kids to read. And in my mind, I was totally content with being done. And when I came out of surgery and I knew that I was going to fight, I was going to fight for my family. I knew I had a great family and I was going to do everything that I could. And when I found out the truth that really while I was in surgery, he had taken money from our retirement and was putting it in a bank account for a woman he was financially supporting. That to me just blew my mind that I was ready to be done with my life and just the disconnect that I was crying on my way up. He knew I was hurting, that I felt so bad about myself, yet he continued that behavior. And that was my really low, low point in recognizing, wow, you put those two pieces together and you see there was a major disconnect. And it's hard because I know that there were so many lies that happened in our marriage. It's hard for me to believe that anything was ever true, that I know my truth and I believed it was good and there were some good times, but I now know that with those good times also came like a potential consequence of that I didn't know about, right? The buttering up so that he could keep me happy enough, planning a girl's trip for me and oh, what a great husband and that's so nice. But really the truth of it was that he felt guilty that he was spending money and that he wanted to appear that he was this awesome, amazing husband. And it was grooming is what it was. He was grooming you on purpose to throw you off his scent. Yeah, that is so hurtful to be like, I got so duped in believing this person loved me when I don't believe there was really love in this marriage. And how did that happen? And how did I not know? And so that's, like you said, it's really recent. So I do feel that betrayal of that shattered mirror, that trying to make sense of how as a smart, capable, independent person that thought I had a healthy marriage, how did I miss so much? 
to not know that that wasn't really love that was happening in my marriage. I felt like I was loving and I was giving, but was not reciprocated. And that is really hard to understand. Yeah, that is just for him like a cover. For you, you were his facade. It blows my mind that he still is the victim. Like this is still hard for him. And that still the blame, even explaining our situation to other people is this is 100% my fault, but Marnie did this and this and this and this. Porn in and of itself is abusive, right? But then he had all of these other abusive behaviors that were going along with it. The control of the conversation, you've got sexual coercion going on because he's not telling you that he's having sex with other people and then having sex with you. You know, there's so much going on there that is seriously sexually abusive which is physical abuse. So technically you're physically abused, emotionally abused, sexually abused, psychologically abused. It's so deep and that, and people just can't comprehend that level of abuse. Right. It's mind blowing to believe, like you said, as the person that I know that I am, that I was living that, believing it was healthy. And I think a part of that is our attachment. Like I looked at my parents and their relationship and that's what I was trying to mimic, you know? And so in my mind, I was aiming to try to do that, even though I did feel like in my communication to him, I didn't feel like we were a team. I felt like I was kind of more the dominant trying to get him to help or communicate with me. I felt like I was constantly chasing him to try to get him to communicate with me. Uh-huh. Which was also, he wanted you to do that. He liked that because you were taking the responsibility for the entire relationship in that case. I was already doing everything, you know, and so it didn't change for the kids. So you, during this time, are considering yourself a spiritual person, right? You're having prayers with your husband, you're attending church, you're reading the scriptures, and then you find out that God has not expressly told you in so many words you're in an abusive relationship or that you know you realize that for 21 years you were not privy to the truth how did that affect your relationship with God yeah that's a really great question I feel like for me that there was a lot of moments along the way as I've tried to reflect on the truth where I can see God's hand in not being able to prevent his choices but still being able to protect me and even prepare me in certain ways. Like I had an injury that happened that at the time I was devastated because my husband traveled all the time. My children were extremely busy. I felt kind of helpless and felt like, why did this happen? This is so frustrating for me. Could I have not had some inspiration to not go uh, it was playing softball and I slid into third and broke my ankles. Could I have not had something to not do that? But I now see looking back that that was in a lot of ways, God's way of making me stop in my tracks because there were times I feel like I had kind of, you can say red flags or inclinations, but I never really followed through with it. I just kind of discounted it, but it was then that I, stopped and actually looked at my life and started to see the truth of what it really was and the major emotional disconnect. And that was just kind of the first part of everything going. And I just feel like even the process of finding a therapist was such a huge blessing, not just for me, but for my kids. There were so many things and so much support from others around that 
I can't deny that I didn't feel God so present in my life. And again, not being able to prevent this from happening or saying, hey, you're in this abusive relationship. But even I lost my mom. She died of cancer when I was a teenager. And I feel like even that experience prepared me to have some different strength and perspective that I even taught my kids that helped prepare for this heartache, you know, and understanding. And so I can see where even through the divorce, there were several things that came my way and even just communication and resources with people and to be able to come across betrayal trauma specifically. Like, I feel like that's one of the things I try to help people because as you know, when you're in it, sometimes a normal therapist, you're just not getting the right information and you're trying to work and communicate. And that's not really what it is, especially when there's addiction involved. And so it's getting the right resources. And I feel like all those things were just huge blessings of my prayers, trying to understand and God blessing me and blessing my children and giving me strength as a mom when I should have had zero, you know, to be able to function. Yeah. I find that most commonly they know about the porn use. And so they approach it from an addiction perspective without realizing it's an abuse situation. That's the most common thing. So if they go in and say, well, things aren't going well because of his addiction, they usually focus on the porn rather than realizing this is an abusive relationship. Either that or they don't know anything's going on. They go in, they say something is not good and the abuse is never identified. In closing, is there anything you would tell yourself if you were listening to yourself? Yeah, I believe that just giving myself a little leeway and understanding that this is hard, but we can do hard things. And I've had to lean on other people. And that's been a hard thing, but I've been so appreciative for that. I also think I'm so thankful for like your resources through BTR. Like I just think it's amazing what is available to us. And I just cannot get enough information that I'm trying to constantly bring to myself and not only that but then share because I feel like no matter even betrayal can be in so many ways like I feel like I've connected with people who've been sexually abused or been with alcoholics or any different types of addiction there is betrayal that is in there and I just think for some reason we don't really talk about it and even the whole society and how they view pornography like I feel like when I'm talking to youth and uh, young adults about pornography it's helping them that society's view of it is so different than the truth of what it actually alters in our brain and emotionally. I think ultimately that we are able to trust in ourselves. And I do believe that God knows me and knows me better than myself. And even though this idea of what I'm going through seems unfair, I look around me and see so many people going through unfair situations. And I'm thankful for believing in something that's bigger than myself that helps give me strength. And I also feel like just trusting in myself as I move forward in dating and my life because I've been betrayed into where I don't trust myself and I'm working through that. And that's why I'm thankful for all these different resources to help validate what I'm feeling and to build me and help me move forward as a broken, strong warrior. Healing. A healing strong warrior and you will thank you so much for sharing your story today marnie no problem thanks for having me
Thank you to those of you who support the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on a monthly basis. If this podcast is helpful to you, please support it by going to our website, btr.org, scroll down to the bottom, and click on Support the Podcast. I also appreciate the reviews that you have given on iTunes or other podcasting apps and the comments that you make on our website, on the articles, on social media, when we post. Many of you share these episodes in article form from our website and on, you follow us on Instagram or Facebook or Pinterest or Twitter. And we just really appreciate it when you like or share our content and when you make comments. It helps other women who are isolated find us. Thank you for supporting our mission. And until next week, stay safe out there. <laughs>